0: Philippians chapter 3, there are no handouts tonight, so if you're looking for one, there isn't any. (laughs) I'll begin reading in verse 20 of chapter 3, Paul writes, but our citizenship is in heaven, And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I treat Simphe to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask also, true companion, help these women Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So going back to verse 20, as Paul continues to seek to uh, encourage them, we've already spent a lot of time talking about what he meant. Uh, when, he, when he told them he wanted them to imitate him and when he talked to them about or mentioned to them about looking around at other believers and looking for others who were examples, those who were godly people, and that they were to imitate them as well. He's uh, also talked about those who have strayed away from the Lord, those who are enemies of the cross, and talked a wee bit about what motivates them uh, and why they are the way they are. And then in contrast to all of that, after he he talks about them, you know, in verse 19, uh, their end is a the destruction, their God is their belly, meaning they're, they're led by their passions and driven by that. They glory in their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. So in contrast to that, he talks about them as believers. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So remember that when he used the phrase, when he talks about our citizenship, that citizenship carries with it uh, privileges for the citizen, right? So for example, most people in our country who are citizens, we don't really think about a lot of the things or privileges that we have because of our citizenship in this country. Go to another country and you will immediately recognize how good it is for us and what we have uh, and what we don't have. Um, Individuals get arrested in another another country um, and they think it's like the movies. Uh, where's my phone call? And sometimes people say start laughing at you. What are you talking about? This isn't America. You don't get a phone call. You, know, you, don't, you don't get a lawyer. You don't get this. You don't get that. Well, we might do this. We might do that. I mean, there's all, suddenly everything changes. And they realize what we've taken for granted really does not exist throughout the world. We tend to think that everywhere else is like where we are. Uh, but it's not. Um, I think I told you before that Paul used the fact that he was a citizen of, of Rome To his advantage Um, many believe that basically his citizenship was one that his parents or that his family purchased um, from Rome but it carried privileges so one of some of those would be this number one when you get arrested um, you cannot be beaten now I know to us that may sound kind of odd but uh, during that time and in some countries today uh, it's not uncommon For the person who gets arrested to be beaten by the police, for all kinds of reasons. One, they may just be in a bad mood, and another, they might be trying to get you to confess to something. So they just start beating on you. Um, I think I've shared with you before. I was watching a uh, it was it was a drama, a police drama, made in India, and it was about a a famous case there. It's 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 a very very brutal crime that took place. So as the police were getting frustrated and trying to find who was guilty, they would you know, at random re- arrest different people who they thought may have had something, con- to, something to do with it or maybe they were connected. And when they would bring them then to the, to, to the jail, I mean, they would just start beating on them. Get sticks or belts and just start, you know, and some of those individuals had no clue what was going on. But there was no suing the police. That didn't exist. And you're watching this and you're like, I, I mean, I can't believe this. Uh, and that was normal. It's normal there. So a citizenship thing carries certain, certain um, privileges as well as responsibilities. So what Paul is talking about here to these individuals says, but your citizenship, so what that brought to their mind is, again, they have responsibilities as well as some privileges. And so you are expected to behave in a particular way as, as, as a result or because you have those things. So what does he say? He says then, that uh, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So the power that Jesus has that he's talking about here or that he's making reference to is the natural authority that he has because he's God. And everyone's, everyone's, is going to be in subjection to Him, period. The Bible says one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That doesn't mean everyone's a believer, but what that does mean is everybody's going to acknowledge the truth of that. It's, it's, they, they will be forced to do that. He has the power to do that. So that power that He has is the same kind of power that is then going to be used to transform us to be like Him. So when you read through the Gospels and we see how when, what happened to Jesus when He rose from the dead, there are several things about Jesus Uh, after his resurrection that were different. Uh, We know that, number one, he was in one place at one time, and then he was in another place at another time. Now, we don't know if that's because of the new body, and we all can do that, or if he could do that because of his deity. But he did do that. We also know that when there was a room that had locked doors and locked windows, he still entered into the room. Again, we don't know if that's because of his new body or because he's deity, but that would be kind of cool, except... When we're living with, you know, when we are living in heaven or actually the new earth forever, there's really not going to be any locked doors. So you're not going to have to do that anyway. (laughs) All right? It's going to be a very different place. Yeah, he still has. He still has the scars. Yes. Because he's still human. But, but, you know, he was solid. Well, yeah, because he was human and he ate food. Yeah. Yeah. But he was still able to, he was not bound by the physical laws that we know of. So we have to be careful to not speculate that we will be able to do that, but we might. We just don't know. But the idea is is that he does have a body that doesn't age, doesn't get sick, doesn't need food, doesn't need rest, and we will be, we will be like him. So he wants to encourage these individuals. Why is he encouraging them with that? Well, remember that part of what goes along with this uh, conflict that he's been talking about is there are those who are going to suffer physically. There are those who are gonna be suffering in prison, those who may, who may uh, suffer beatings. And so the idea is, well, but there's a day coming when my body will be different, I will be like Jesus. And so whatever this is, it's temporary. And so that's why he wants them to be encouraged. So there's nothing in here about these individuals not having to endure difficulties and suffering. And again, we, we, it's very important for us to recognize that. That's one of the, there's many bad things when it comes to some of the bad doctrines going around. Uh, but one of, the, one of the very unfortunate things about some of the doctrine is that God doesn't want his people to suffer. That's untrue, right? That, in fact, there are certain individuals who've been appointed by God to suffer, right? So that whole idea that God doesn't want his people to suffer is just is ridiculous. Also, some get this idea that, that somehow we are no longer under the curse of sin, that we shouldn't get sick. Uh, and of course, part of that is dying. That that shouldn't happen. Where is that in the Bible? That that's not in there. We are all, and, until the Lord returns, we all are subject to that. Um, I, I I'm, I've had a conversation once with a guy. He's a Pentecostal pastor, and uh, at their church here in Savannah, they've had several different kinds of revivals and healing services. And but he still limps. So I asked him one day. I said I i said i gotta ask you a question i said why do you still limp i said i I see i know you have all these healing services and i'm pretty confident that you have enough faith so i am not getting this and he gave me some weird strange answer that just didn't make any sense um but at the same time he was giving me the answer i could tell he didn't want to give me an answer he just wanted to end the conversation Um, but we also have to realize that every single person who's taught that kind of thing when they get all to, at least at some point, they all die. You know what, you know what death is? Death, death is basically, it's a result of the curse. It's, there's a disease that you have, whether it's a blood disease or whatever. I mean, you may not be diagnosed with cancer, but our bodies are fading away because of the curse of sin. All right? We begin to die the moment we're born. and None of us are exempt from that. So there's this really bad, bad teaching out there that you just have to have faith and think positive. And if you think about it, that's, that, that becomes ridiculous. Um, and, of course, the out for them is if you don't get better, it's always your fault because you don't have enough faith. And that's not in the Bible. This is it's nowhere in the Bible anywhere. Um, in fact, the Bible says all you, all you need is the faith the size of a mustard seed. Um, we have that. Okay? The main thing is, uh, about faith is who is our faith in. The object's not our faith. It's who is it who is it, it's in Christ that's the key um, and then of course for us what we should understand is we, we want and desire the Lord's will to be done so again we have the example of Paul he's writing this letter from prison to these individuals to this church right he has some hardships in and he's experienced many hardships and he has and he's experiencing hardships at that moment but he's chosen to live his life by faith which means he trusts the Lord. He trusted what the, the Lord has said. And so the Lord has appointed him to do a specific work. And the work he's doing entails him going through many of these hardships that he's going through. And so he's he's accepted that, but he's but he's not accepting it in the sense that he is defeated. He is he's accepted the fact that this is the charge the Lord has given him, and he is excited about that. He's going to fulfill the role and the responsibilities that God has given him. Uh, And so that's why he's encouraging these individuals to think in the same way. And so there are some of these truths he brings out is what helps to support that attitude. And this is one of them, that we are going to have a body that is like his, uh, and we're going to be rewarded with that. So that's why he says, Therefore, my brothers, uh, chapter chapter 4, verse 1, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. So what he's telling them is don't, don't waver. Don't waver in your trust to the Lord. Don't don't begin to feel sorry for yourself, which, which means whether you pray less um, or you begin to doubt, don't do that. Stand firm. The Lord knows what he's doing. Uh, and he's called you this. There's no feeling sorry for yourself, you know, that type of thing. Um, and uh, their focus definitely is not going to be on their own comfort and their own safety. It's Their eyes are on the Lord and what the Lord wants them to do. So then, he's going to end the letter, so he begins to deal with some some uh, different kinds of things. It's kind of a mishmash of things. So there's these two ladies, Iodia and uh, (laughs) Simphchi, whatever. Something like that. Yeah, it's a weird name. All right. Uh, They don't get along. And he says they need to agree. That's it. And so he's asked, the others in the church, help these women. Now, these women, they're, they're Christians, and they've helped Paul, all right? He said they labor with him side by side with the Gospel and with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. So, he's not doubting their salvation. So, help them to what? To agree and and to get along. that's, that's, that's just very, very simple. He wants them to do that. So, then with that, he then goes back now to where he makes a lot of short statements that are... that. I guess the best way to put it is they are pregnant with meaning. All right? They're, they're, even though they're short and simple, they're, they're very important and very powerful. Number one, verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I would say rejoice. So we stop there. So he, that's, a, that's an imperative. It's a command. He's telling them you need to choose to rejoice. Regardless of your situation, you choose to rejoice. That's what he's doing there in prison. He's choosing to rejoice. So he's not in denial that, that he is in a rough situation. He's not denying that. This isn't about denial. This is where you, you, we choose to rejoice in the Lord with our eyes wide open. I fully understand whatever it is I'm facing. All right. So whether we're facing disease, you know, maybe it's cancer, or maybe it's uh, some kind of a chronic thing, Right? We're not happy about it, but clearly it is God's will for you to have that, at least for now. You may be healed, you may not be healed. That's the Lord's business. We ask the Lord to heal, but remember, most of the time God does not do that. So what are we supposed to do? The Bible says rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because my eyes are on Him, so I'm looking at the here and now and the future this is not all there is so we don't want to get overly caught up in the here and now the here and now is important but we don't get overly caught up uh, in in the affairs of the world and that, that that can be difficult at times as to what that really means so we have to fulfill our responsibilities we take our life here very seriously and we, and we need to do that that's a good thing okay but at the same time We do not allow our life, our circumstances, etc., to dictate our attitude or dictate the way we respond to the world. We are called by God to choose to respond in a particular way. We're able to do this not because we're tough-minded. We choose to do this because we understand the truth or the reality of what's going on. Okay, so so we understand the bigger picture. So if all of a sudden I'm diagnosed with cancer, I'm not going to be happy. I don't, I'm not going to like that. Okay? But, and that's, you know, there's all kinds of cancer. But if, I, if, I'm, if that happens to me, all right, even though I'm not happy with that, clearly the Lord has a reason for that to have happened to me. And what the Lord expects from me is to deal with that in a way that what? Honors Him. Okay? He expects that. So that doesn't mean I pretend I don't have it. doesn't mean that. But I fully embrace it, that I have it. I ask the Lord to heal me. because I'm going to do that. But I'm not banking on that as the only option. I don't know what the Lord wants. So in the meantime, how am I to live? And that's what we need to do. There was a, I think it was Cromwell who said this. There was a bunch of fighting going on in England back in the 1500s and 1600s and 1700s. And so he said to his soldiers, he said, men, he said, trust in the Lord, keep your gunpowder dry. All right, so the idea is they have their guns, they have your gunpowder, if your gunpowder gets wet, your, your, your rifle's not going to work. So we trust in the Lord, but keep it dry. All right, so there's, there, there's that tension that we, we have to do both all right, when it comes to that. And so that's, so this, this ability then that we have, it's given to us by God. All right, so we all have this. It's not based on your personality. It may be true that for some of us this would be easier than for others. That's true. But every single person can do this. This is not a command where he says, Well, for those of you who tend to be more positive-minded, rejoice in the Lord. That's not what he says. He just says, Rejoice in the Lord. And then he says what? And again, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Okay, So rejoice again is, is uh, I, I believe, for me anyway, a good way to understand rejoicing and what joy is. It is a sense of both of, of happiness, peace of mind, and contentment. Okay, Happiness in that my emotions are not fickle. They're not based on just what's going on. So there's a happiness because of the truth that I know to be true concerning God and life and all of that. There's a peace of mind words, I'm not worried, I'm not anxious because I do trust in God that he knows what he's doing. And so I I have a peace of mind with that. And then I'm content. I'm content with what I possess now. I'm also content with what I don't have now. I'm content because all those things kind of work together. So because of all of that, I'm able to rejoice in the Lord. Uh, And so, and that's important for us to do that. Uh, We need to act like those who belong to Christ. Then he says this, let your reasonableness be known to others, uh, or to everyone, the Lord is at hand. Uh, some say that, that the word might is better translated gentleness, let your gentleness be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand. The idea there, I guess, I think would be this, with either reasonableness, reasonableness or gentleness is when circumstances aren't going our way, we, we, can, we can panic, we can be irritable, uh, we can be kind of uh, edgy with others. Don't be that way. We're trusting in the Lord. We're choosing to rejoice. Relax. You don't, you don't have to make, you can't make things happen. You don't have to make things happen. Let, and and again, he says, let your gentleness or let your reasonableness be known to everyone. (coughs) So the idea is, is that at all times, in all places, I must choose to rejoice and my response to people and my response to circumstances needs to be consistent with the attitude that I've chosen. And so that's gonna be gentleness or reasonableness. Now that can really be hard because, you know, we can get pretty irritated. You know, if you're in pain, We can get irritated. Now, it's not a sin to feel irritated when you're in pain. At the same time, you don't have a right to, because of the irritableness, snap at somebody. Okay, that's where. So, we're supposed to control ourselves. Now, obviously, if you're if you're not walking with the Lord, you're not spending time with it's very difficult to control yourself because we don't have enough strength. That strength kind of goes out the window once we get tired. Pain will wear you out fast, all right? So that's why the trusting in the Lord is imperative. And the way we trust in the Lord, we, we always go back to some of the basic elements of the Christian life. Spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, and spending time with other believers. That's, that strengthens us, all right? That the, the Spirit of God uses that to continue to change our hearts and our minds to change the way we think, and that also then will affect the way we will feel. All right. Now, what, so then doesn't mean that you're less human. You don't become somebody else, but our emotions will be under a greater control. All right. So again, so we're not denying the fact that an individual can become irritable because of let's say pain, but there's still an expectation. That we don't snap at people, and you and you hear sometimes people say this. You know, maybe they'll snap at someone, and they'll apologize. Hey, you know, I'm hurting, and I know I shouldn't do that, and I'm sorry. You know, we just kind of, you know, because the flesh is weak. All right, but at the same time, we want to we want to keep trying to do this. So so here's the thing that's important with that. Like any other kind of, when it comes to our, our emotions, we need stress in our life to where we actually have opportunity to practice controlling our emotions. So, oftentimes, the Lord allows bad things to happen in your life, maybe minor, but He allows bad things to happen, and those are, are used to test you, all right? When I say test you, I don't mean test you in the sense to see where you're at, but it is, is so it's like when, you, when you're lifting weights, you want to get stronger. So when you lift weights, you're testing your strength. The idea is you're, you're pushing to your limit right and, and you and you want you're trying to improve that so the only way you could do that is to put yourself under greater stress and then of course the body responds it takes time for the body to respond so same thing when it comes to our emotions so if we're never tested and our life is always easy then when the bad times come you're not going to do too well right so so we need we need to be ready it's kind of like the, also the, you know when they when they do uh, training for for um, police officers and firefighters and all that, they do try to put them as as close to a realistic situation as possible. And they do certain things over and over and over again. Here's the reason why. Because if you're a fireman and you're in a building that's on fire, and you're feeling the heat, and you can't see because of the smoke, and you can hear the structures beginning to fall, normally we do what? Panic. And when you panic, you don't make good decisions. You do very poorly. So if you, but if you've been through that before, many times, then they will, that's what what they'll say is your training takes over, hopefully, and when your training takes over, you follow what you've been trained to do, which not only will save you, but hopefully enable you to save whoever it is that you're trying to get out of the fire, all right? So that's really very important. So when it comes to life and life situations, the Lord expects us to behave as Christians. But it's not just, you just need to do better, right? We, we go through various things in our lives, but just to, you know, and, and, and we learn, because we see it, our own weaknesses. We know what we need to improve on, so we ask the Lord to help us to improve, and as we read the Word, study the Word, meet with believers and pray, as we confess our sins to God when we we blow it, what's supposed to happen is through time, we then get better at that. So it's kind of like this. So when when you have children, when your two-year-old doesn't get their way, and they flop themselves down in the middle of the living room and start kicking and screaming because they don't get their way, we don't like that, but we expect that because they're two. Now, there's a lot of ways to try to correct that, but we begin to correct that because that is unacceptable. Because you know what's going to be really embarrassing for everybody? When your kid is 16 and they do that. If you're at a let's say you go to a party, a church party, a home <laughs> fellowship, and your 16 and wants to do something, you say, no, you're going to have to wait. We're going to have scripture reading now. So after that, you can get extra dessert. And they throw themselves down in the middle of the, of the living room there and start kicking and screaming with everybody watching, mercy sakes, there's nowhere to hide. I mean, that's just as, embar- as embarrassing for them, it's embarrassing for you. You know, there's, there's an expectation that they're not going to act that way. So if we've taught them when they were younger, you don't always get your way. The world does not revolve around you. When you. We will not always say yes to what you ask. You must learn how to take no for an answer. The way you take no for an answer is you behave this way. You're allowed to do this. By doing that and training them, then when they're 16, hopefully what they will say when you say, you can have more dessert, but we're going to have Bible reading now, so you don't have to wait. Yes, sir. You want that? Starts when they're two. (laughs) All right? You don't, you don't, you don't, for the very first time in their life, when they're 16, say, oh, by the way, this we're having a fellowship? Don't you act up. (laughs) they're going to act up, all right? So in the Christian life, hardships is a part of life for everybody. But for the believer, we view them and understand them very differently. And, And what we recognize is that because God is sovereign, none of these things happen to us by accident. And even though we must deal with those things correctly when they happen, they also at the same time serve as ways to train us or to help us to also mature along the way. And that's what Paul is talking about here. So we want others to see. So so I don't want my reasonableness to be known to others so they think I'm a great guy. The the whole idea about this is that it points to the power of Christ, to the strength of Christ. Christ has made a real difference in this person's life. Uh, And and that's what this is about. So, verse 5 again, Let your reasonableness be made known to every man. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything... But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So, verse 6 is a a verse that many people have memorized. I don't know how many people actually apply it to their life. Alright, number one, again, this is an imperative. Alright, so, this is what we have to think about. Remember, God created us. So, on one hand, to worry is natural. Okay, it's natural to do that, to worry. All right. Along with that, though, we have a command telling us not to worry. So that means that whatever worry is, it's something that we have control over. Now, it's not necessarily something we have control over just in the flesh. Again, it's we learn. We, we learn how to overcome that worry. So we, we may still feel the anxiousness or the concern, but we still can respond the way we're supposed to respond. The idea then is that whatever the circumstance is, by not worrying, I'm not allowing it or my fear of whatever may or may not happen to control me. I don't allow my fear or whatever that is to cause me to act in a certain way. You know, because sometimes sometimes people can act poorly when they're afraid. Right? We don't always, we don't, we're not always mad at them. We understand that. Right? If a little kid is afraid of, let's say that there's there's some situation where there's a kid that's afraid and you're the one that's going to help them and you reach out to get a hold of them and, and they might start slapping you and flinging their body all over the place because they're afraid if you understand that you're you're going to be very patient normally you're not going to say don't hit me i'll hit you again we don't do that why because we understand they're afraid they don't understand what's going on so we, we pick them up we hold them we want to comfort them uh, in that situation. So the idea then is that their fear is affecting the behavior. As we grow and mature, we learn to get a handle on that, right? Even more so as a Christian. So that doesn't mean that you're never afraid of anything. doesn't mean that. But it means that we're able to face our fears in a particular way. We're able to do so with strength. How are we able to do that in strength? Because I know the Lord. Because I know the truth about life. God is sovereign. God is in charge of this. I don't know how long it's going to last, but He does. I don't know how I'm going to get through it, but He will give me the strength I need to get through this. He will supply for my need. If I need other people to help me get through it, He will supply those people. If, if I need the support from others through prayer, through whatever, God's going to, he's going to supply all of that. Okay. So the idea then is that when it comes to this, we need to analyze ourselves in a sense, or at least recognize in ourselves, that when it comes to this, we, don't, we, we should not, as believers, then respond with worry. Now, I don't know about you, but most of us, at least many of us, that's very difficult. You can't do that on your own. We, we need the strength of Christ. But remember, the foundation of that is knowing God, which is knowing the facts about God, but also knowing Him. Knowing him in the sense of of experience. There's experiential knowledge. Okay? When the Bible speaks of the knowledge of God, normally it actually entails both those things. So again, it's like this. So a husband and a wife, they know each other. Right? And there's two ways they know each other. Number one, they know each other uh, in, in one sense that what they know about the other person, everyone else knows that too. So my wife is five foot three. Probably now she's five foot two and a half. Right? But you can see that, okay? Her hair is, I don't even know what color that is. But I know it's that color, all right? All right? But, but, but everyone can see that, all right? So that's a that's, that's, that's knowledge, but everybody else has that knowledge, okay? But there's also the knowledge that I have of her and that she actually has as me because of things we've been through in life. We've been married 46 years, so we've been through a bunch of stuff, all right? So there's certain things we know by experience, all right? There are certain times I know what's in her mind or i know what's in her heart i understand what she may be feeling because we've been through these things before that's experiential knowledge okay so when it comes to god we have the the knowledge that god gives us from the word so for example the bible talks about the comfort of god all right so intellectually we know what that is we know what comfort is at the same time when it comes to that if you've gone through times of difficulty and you've experienced comfort and we might even say it this way we might experience a supernatural sense of comfort, meaning I feel comfort. I don't, but it's not necessarily through any one person. It's different, all right. For lack of a better way to put it, but we've experienced God comforting us. So now we know God's comfort both intellectually, but we've also know it experientially. Okay, we've experienced that. We know that God answers prayer, but when you see God answering your prayer, you now know that God answers prayer what experientially. So you, your trust in the Lord actually will be stronger in that sense. Even though, you, even though you don't doubt what the Bible says, when God has answered some of your prayers specifically, that's very encouraging. And so then you will have a greater sense to when you say, let's pray for something, because you what? I know that God answers prayer. I've experienced it. So your experience doesn't make the Bible true. It proves the Bible true. Right? A huge difference. So here... When Paul says this. So we have to understand that we, we we're not allowed then to use his excuses. Well, some of us just worry more than others. No, you're a Christian. This is That's not acceptable. Now, if you're in the middle of something that's really bad and you're worrying, people shouldn't scold you at that moment in time. That's not how you're going to learn how not to worry. It's a little late at that point. But the bottom line is, is that there's this expectation that God has. And again, this is for all believers. Everyone So even when it comes to your children, as your children grow, when they begin to worry about things, we can talk to them about, this is, God has created us. This is what God, this is what we know about God. This is what we want God. This is what God's going to do for us. And because we know that, we don't have to be afraid. or We don't have to worry. You know, that kind of thing. So it's really a very powerful thing here. And it really does go against uh, a lot of the, um, presuppositions and answers that we'll get from secular psychology or secular psychiatrists or secular counselors all right that that's not they're not going to go down that road but as Christians we are to go down that road and this is those areas that God wants us to grow again he says that on purpose because going to jail would kind of normally cause someone to begin to worry you don't have to worry about that it, it's and it's and, uh, and again like I've said before oftentimes and maybe it's always but oftentimes the strength that you need to get through something like that god does not give that to you today he will give it to you when you need it so the strength that i need to be able to get through let's say let's say they're going to start arresting pastors because of their preaching the word of god all right and i even and i would say well i'm I'm not afraid of that i don't know what all is going to happen with that but i'm not really worried about it but the strength that I need to get through that I'm not going to get today. When I get arrested, the Lord will provide. And so that's, so we, I, we just, that's, that's how it's going to be. God's going to give it to us um, in, in that way, and that's the normal way. So again, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. But then, of course, the opposite of that is what? To go to the Lord. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So this is not that you, instead of just worrying and fretting, you then just worry out loud by praying. No, that's not, he doesn't mean worry out loud. What he wants us to do is, once again, by everything. He's already said don't be anxious about anything, but then in everything, by prayer. So prayer and supplication. So we ask God, um, we're asking God to help, we're asking God to supply, we're asking God to move, but we do so with thanksgiving. So we do it with a grateful heart to begin with. We we don't even know what the answer is going to be, but but we know we deserve, we already know we don't deserve anything from the Lord anyway. However, we know that God is going to supply our needs. At the same time, He's going to supply our needs as it coincides with what His will. So we know that. So we should know as we grow as Christians that God can be trusted, that God doesn't make mistakes. Now there are times that's hard, because we don't like what God's plan is. Okay? Some people have lost their children. We don't like that. That's not fun. That's not, that, that's a, that, that can make our hearts very heavy. <clears throat> but and that's why it's important to be ready now. Not try to deal with it when it comes. So that doesn't mean that you daydream about your kids dying. That's not what that means. What it means is, is we continue to grow to get to know God better. And have him change our hearts. So we are thinking correctly when that time comes, if that time comes. I shouldn't say when because it doesn't happen to everybody, but the idea is that, when that time, if that time comes, we are prepared because, in other words, we're mature. So again, once again, back to how we raise our children. When we raise our children, we do not know what the future holds for our children. We don't know what kind of jobs we're going to have. We don't know what state the country will be in. We don't know any of that. But we raise our children in such a way that we want them to be what? We want them to be mature. We want them to think well. We want them to have a handle on their emotions. Why? So then no matter what the world is like or what happens, they will be prepared to handle it. That's the idea. So so I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm I'm already preparing them. So in the same way that as we raise our, our children to be Christians, we tell them in advance, hopefully, is what you're doing, is we let them know that not everybody believes in God. We we also uh, teach them that there are those who hate God. Uh, we also talk to them about how there are those who will talk bad about the Bible and try to undermine their faith. And so they they hear that from us. They're more they are prepared for that. They're not like stunned like, uh, man, I didn't you know all these people hate God. I, it's like am I in the right place? Should I should should I? You know, they might get swayed by that, which can happen. But if they know that in advance. They're more prepared for that. That's what being mature, part of being mature is, is that you're prepared for those things. So here the idea is that we are thankful when we pray, and we let our requests be made known to God. So we talk to God about those things that we're worried about. That is, that's active dependence upon the Lord. So again, this is not just, we're not doing this so that we can just feel better because we got it off of our chest. All right? There is a sense of relief when we pray. There, there is that sense of relief, which we have to be careful of, because we're not praying because we're looking for psychological relief. Okay. So I'll, I'll give you a scenario that all of you will be able to identify with immediately. If one of my grandchildren is diagnosed with some kind of childhood disease, and that means that they're probably not going to live another year, when I pray for them to God, I am not praying to feel better psychologically. That's not why I'm praying. I am praying because I'm going to plead with the Lord that he'll be merciful and he will heal them. That's I'm asking God to do that. And I'm asking God to give them strength. And I'm asking God to help them to not be afraid. It doesn't matter to me if I feel better psychologically or not. That's not what I'm doing. I'm not just trying to do a spiritual exercise so I can feel better about myself. That's selfish. My focus is on Christ and them, and I'm letting God know this is what I want. I still want the will of God, okay? I'm not not negating that. I'm not saying, God, I don't care what you want. This is what I want. At the same time, I can tell God what I want, and this is what I'm asking for. If it is not God's will for them to be healed, even though it's going to be a very tough pill to swallow, God is the God of all comfort. And what I also know is that this is not all there is to life. There is life beyond the grave. If there's not, then it's all hopeless anyway. Right? It's hopeless. The Bible says that if there's no resurrection of all the people in the world, the world should have greater pity on us because we're fools. And so... This is what he's talking about. So this is real, real life stuff that he's dealing with here. There's no denial of reality. Um, this is not positive thinking or just exercise your faith. There's none of that. This is, this is what he's getting out to the nitty gritty. And of course, we know what happens to Paul in the end. In the end, Paul's killed. But he goes to Rome, he goes, he has this trial, and he's put to death. I'm not sure the details as to why and I don't think there's any evidence. That there's no court reading. It was where he was found guilty or whatever. But what we do know is he made an appeal to Caesar. He got to Rome. He was put to death. That's how it ended for him. That was the will of God for him. But Paul was, had already embraced that without knowing what it was going to be. Uh, there's a story in Acts where Paul's at a house and he's, he's on his way to another town. And so this prophet shows up. And the, and the prophet basically prophesies and takes a belt and ties his hands, and he says, "The one who belongs, who this belt belongs to, which is Paul, this is what's going to happen." And of course, everyone is urging Paul not to go. He says, "Nope, I'm going to go." So when you read commentary, some say, "Oh yeah, God gave Paul warning; he shouldn't have gone." I'm like, "Where are you getting that from? Where do you get this idea that because this prophet said this is going to happen, Paul should not? That was not in the prophecy. There was no mention of God saying to Paul." You should not go. It's not in there. All it is is God letting Paul know this is what's going to happen. He's now prepared. He's going anyway. that's That's what God's will is. When you read about the life of Paul, there's no indication anywhere in the Bible that Paul was the kind of individual who, A, was going to run away from trouble, or, B, he was going to disobey the Lord. He put himself in harm's way all the time. So when we read through that, what we see is he is told what's going to happen. And it's almost like, okay, now I know, now I know what to be prepared for mentally, spiritually, I'm going. And so those commentaries where people say that, I think they're just wrong. And they're making assumptions they shouldn't make uh, when it comes to that. So this is what Paul is getting at when it comes, because Paul understands that when it comes to life, man, there's some hard stuff that we have to deal with in life. uh, Because that's the nature of this world until the Lord returns. Then he says... So, when you pray, so, alright, so you, you uh, uh, w- when you, you choose, not to, you choose to, to rejoice, you choose not to worry, you choose to pray, and you choose to do so with thanksgiving, and you pour out your heart to the Lord, as a result of that, verse 7, and the peace of God, and then he stops and wants us to understand something about the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. So the idea there is, is that the human mind is unable to comprehend where this comes from. This peace that, that God's going to give you doesn't make sense in the world. We understand that as believers. Nonbelievers don't get this. But there's something spe- specific here that I think is important for us not to miss. And that's what he says. He says next, So he says, the peace of God, which, by the way, surpasses understanding, but the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. Guard. Well, what's he going to guard against? Well, I think when you read through this and you read the whole letter, that what the context is telling us there is that the peace of God then, that sense of contentment, that sense of satisfaction, that that joy that we have in, in the Lord, guards us from doubting God blaming God, falling apart, what, uh, the, the worry, the fear, our heart is guarded from that. So it's a, it's a reinforcement of the spiritual strength and I would say the emotional strength that God's going to give us as we go through times of difficulty. He will guard your heart. So when the evil one comes to spread the seeds of doubt, all right, that God knows what he's doing, that God can be trusted or what have you, or if other human beings come along saying the wrong thing, God guards your heart. He protects your heart from being led astray. Because right? when we go through times of difficulty, my dad told me this once. He said that when we go through difficulty as Christians, especially very difficult things, he says that person never remains the same. They will always come out of it different. And For the Christian, you will either come out of it closer to the Lord, or you will begin the drift. You will never be the same. And I have seen it. People go through stuff in their family, or with themselves, and when the episode is over, no matter how how much during the time they say, oh, we're trusting God, and we're this, and we're that, no matter how much stuff that, that kind of stuff is said, which is all good, and I'm glad they're saying that, and I pray they believe that, but when it's all said and done, what happens to them? Are they fellowshipping with believers more than before, or less? Are they praying more before than they were before, or is it less? Are they more committed to read the Scripture now than before, or is it less? It's never the same. And unfortunately, I don't know what the percentage is. I've never tried to figure it out. But normally the ones that stand out the most are the ones who yeah, they've—they're are not you don't see them around anymore. And we wonder, because we think about it. Wait a minute. We, we prayed for them. We all have, we saw how the Lord met their need. Maybe in some cases, we actually saw how the Lord maybe did something we would call miraculous. And now where are they? We're like, what is that? That's kind of like the, you know, when Jesus fed the 5,000. He knew some of those individuals would be screaming for his crucifixion. When they were screaming for his crucifixion, I'm like, did they forget what happened a few months earlier? Where he, he proved, uh, once again, who he was and had this incredible power and he, he fed them with just a little bit of food and made that food multiply. He met their need and now they're screaming for him, his crucifixion. I'm like, how, do, how does that happen? Well, that's, that's the human trait. And the first thing we have to make sure we do is make sure that that doesn't happen to us. You know, we, we always see it in others, I want to make sure it doesn't happen to you. And so the way we do this is that we we turn to the Lord, and He will guard our hearts. It's really important for us to grasp that um, when it comes to this, because um, when you're in the midst of it, we don't receive instruction very well. Um, we just we just we don't, especially if we're not really walking the way we should walk. For those who are growing in the Lord, you know they want to be reminded and encouraged, and, and we have it. But for those who aren't, man, it's, it's, it's grating, right? It's like someone rubbing sandpaper on your face. Um, it's not comforting at all. And so there's a real danger here. And so this protecting our heart or guarding our heart, I think, is really very important when it comes to this. So, so what, I, what I learned then from this also is that worry, in the immediate context, to worry and not pray leads me To where my I can be led astray spiritually. Which, whether it's drifting from the Lord, what have you, that's what worry will do to us. To worry and not pray leads me more, makes me more vulnerable to being led astray. (coughs) By me turning to the Lord in prayer and seeking Him, God then meets my need, and part of that is not just meeting my need now, but guarding my heart from my own weaknesses as a human being. Because remember, the flesh is weak. Yes, ma'am. Um, I've heard that as a, when I was a little bit coming up in church, that um, if you're a Christian, you ain't to worry. Well, we, we say that, but that doesn't really mean anything to anybody. We're not supposed to worry, but, it, but it's more than just that. Um, most of the time in the Scripture, when we're told to not do certain things, we're told to do to do something else, so it's kind of like don't do this, but do this. It's never don't do this, and then that's it. So it's don't worry, seek the Lord and pray. So we have, to, so we have, to so there's people who, you know, we may have enough self-control to maybe not worry, but if we're not turning to the Lord, that we're not following what the Scripture says. So yeah. Yes, I mean, it's. Lord yeah, and and I know there's a line between being concerned and worrying. Don't know where that is, but I do know is this: if we're not turning the Lord, if we're not turning to the Lord in prayer, then it's probably on the negative side of things. Uh, so again, to be concerned is a good thing, right? Once again, if one of my grandchildren is told they have a childhood disease that's going to kill them in a year, I'm concerned, and that concern motivates me. It will motivate me to pray for them every day. That's what it's going to do. I I do pray for I pray for all of you. I do not pray for all of you every day. There's too many people. (laughs) That's just wait. But but I go through and pray for people. Now there are certain ones I pray for them more often during the week, depending on what's happening in their lives. So some I'll pray for them two or three times during the week. Right? It's just it's human nature when things are urgent or things are more pressing to pray more. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not sinful. At the same time, there are those that we're really close to. So if one of my grandchildren gets that, I mean, I'm motivated and I'm praying every day, probably more than once a day. That's not wrong. All right, that God uses that to, you know, we're, we're harnessing the emotions that God gives us and we're using it in a good way. And so that's, um, and again, that's what we're supposed to do. We turn to the Lord and the Lord will guard your heart. Um, And also your mind. So again, your emotions as well as your mind, uh, those thoughts, whether it's bad doctor, whatever it happens to be, um, he guards us. So we'll stop there because verse 8 begins another section that would take some time to get through and there's just no sense in starting it for two minutes and then stopping. Um, So we'll pick it up in verse 8 when we get back uh, together next week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you, Lord, for the very practical and strong things that paul has given us father i ask you help us to take to heart what paul has said we pray you help us to evaluate the way we think the way we approach life compare our lives to what you've said to see if we are living in this way we pray lord you would reveal to us the weaknesses that we have help us father to give us and give us the strength we need to face our weaknesses and to begin to address those things I pray, Lord, for each one here that as they recognize weaknesses in their lives, in whatever way they begin to address them, no matter how weakly they address them, I pray that you would strengthen them, you would help them, and they would begin to see success in their life. I pray, Lord, help all of us to learn the things that we need to learn. Help us to be strong in the Lord and to understand what that means. I pray that our hearts will be encouraged and strengthened by the truth that Paul gives us. I pray also, Lord, that we'll be able to pass these things on to others And strengthen them as well. Because we know, Father, as as we, we all talk about it, how it seems that the more time that goes by as we await the coming of the Lord, the more difficult it's going to be for believers. And it seems to be that way. And Father, we don't want to be left behind with all that. We want to be living like Paul and living really victoriously, experiencing great joy and comfort and satisfaction. That, Father, we may be strong in the Lord. Father, we ask now that as we, are, as we bring our time to a close and we are dismissed, we ask that you would watch over us. We pray that we think often about these truths in the book of Philippians. And again, that we'll be the better for it. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.